You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Associate Minister Kirk McKenzie. Today's reading is from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers. Or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. A friend of mine was getting ready to apply for some full-time jobs, and so he'd read a book that tells you how to ace the job interview, how to go into the panel and prove yourself the best possible candidate, way better than anyone else out there in the waiting room. So he summarized the book for me, and he said, basically, the book tells you how to lie about yourself and get away with it. It was basically telling you how to take your strengths and exaggerate them to the extremes, but not get caught doing it. And so we discussed this pressure that we have often when it comes to job interviews, where you're really under pressure to present yourself in the best possible light, to exaggerate your strengths, to emphasize them, and to do your very best to avoid presenting yourself as weak or flawed. Even if you get that direct question, uh, what are your weaknesses, there's that temptation to turn it into a strength and to say something like, oh, well, I work too hard or I'm a perfectionist. Instead of answering honestly like, oh, I'm a bit lazy or uh, I tend to turn up late to everything or I have a history of stealing from my employer. And so this dynamic of strengths versus weaknesses was on my mind as I was reading today's passage that we're looking at from Luke chapter 18. It's the last passage we're looking at in our series called Teach Us to Pray. In this series, we've been looking at Jesus' teaching on prayer from the book of Luke. And prayer is a great topic to be looking at because it's about, at its essence, our relationship with God, our communication with God, All relationships, if they're going to be good, if they're going to be healthy, need good communication. And our relationship with God is no different. That's what lies at the heart of Christianity. And prayer is the main way that we communicate with God. Now, I was talking to a friend once and their dad had this custom or tradition of rating the prayers in their family. So if someone prayed, say, for example, before a meal, Dad would then give a quick review and rating out of 10 for the prayer. Now, I'm not sure if this is a habit that you're going to bring into your family. Uh, Definitely not one I'm going to introduce to mine. But it begs the question, is there such thing as a bad prayer? Like, did anyone ever get a 1 or a 2 out of 10 rating? See, I would have thought 
the vast majority of prayers uh, are going to be good prayers, simply on the basis that God wants to hear from us. He loves us. He wants to be in relationship with us. And he doesn't mind if our prayers are a bit ragged, if they're a bit all over the place, if they're a bit scattered, selfish, random, whatever. He just loves hearing from us. And so I'm going to say that the vast majority of prayers are good prayers. But this story that Jesus tells in Luke 18, the one we're looking at today, does present with us for us the idea that perhaps there can be such thing as a bad prayer, or at least a prayer that needs a lot of work. Because it's one of those stories where we're presented with two characters, two examples, one for us not to follow and the other one for us to follow. One bad example and one good example. The two characters are the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now in Jesus' time, 2000 years ago, in his context, the original listeners probably would have been expecting that the Pharisee is going to be the good guy in the story and the tax collector is going to be the bad guy. The Pharisee comes from a group of Jewish believers who put a lot of effort into being spiritually and morally uh, good. That was their focus in life. Uh, they knew their Bibles well. Uh, they tried to be upstanding members of the community of believers. And so you've got Jesus, this spiritual religious teacher, telling the story. You're probably going to expect that the Pharisee is likely going to be the upstanding good character in the story. Unlike the tax collector, who was known to be the scumbag in the local community. The reason for that is that not just because they're a tax collector, you know, nobody really likes getting taxed, but back then it was a whole extra layer of things going on. The, the people who taxed you were the Romans. The Romans were the invading empire. They'd come in, they'd attacked the Jewish people, they'd taken over their homeland, they killed a whole bunch of them. And so if you were working as a tax collector, that meant you were working for the enemy. You were profiting of the misery of your own people. You were a traitor to your own people. What's more, tax collectors had a reputation for charging more tax than the Romans demanded and getting rich off those profits, you know, skimming off the top. So if you wanted to find the most hated member of the Jewish community, it was probably the tax collectors. And that's why Jesus often used tax collectors as examples in his stories as the people who were on the edge of society, not because they were poor, but because everyone hated them. So if you want to pick a bad guy in a story in Jesus' time, pick a tax collector. But what Jesus does in this story is he takes your expected good guy and your expected bad guy and he flips them. And these two guys, they come to a prayer meeting and they pray publicly. Let's have a look at the way that goes. So first up, we get the Pharisee and he prays in verse 11. He stands by himself and he prays this, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. I found another translation that says, I am not like the rest of mankind, separating himself and the Pharisees off from all other groups of people. Now, if you get the sense that there's a bit of an undercurrent of arrogance going on there, you'd be correct. There is. And so other people who are not part of the Pharisees in that prayer meeting 
probably thinking, uh, isn't this a bit of an obnoxious start to your prayers, bro? Like, what's going on here? Then he lists off people that he's not like. And he says, uh, I'm not like robbers, evildoers, and adulterers. Now, to be fair, I'm glad he's not like that. Glad he's not stealing, glad he's not doing evil, glad he's not cheating on his wife. Those are good things to not be like. But then he says, or even like this tax collector. Now, we're probably all glad we're not like the tax collector profiting off the misery of our own people working for the invading empire. But it's a pretty brazen thing to do to point out someone in the prayer meeting like who's literally there with you praying and going, I'm glad I'm not like him. <laughs> like, again, there's this, there's this undercurrent of arrogance uh, going on in this prayer. Now, for us Australians, that really stands out for us. We don't like people talking themselves up. And so uh, that stands out as particularly bad for us. Other cultures are not as against that as Australian culture, so we need to be aware of that. But nonetheless, it's still there um, and still a problem even in other, in other cultures. And then in verse 12, he tells us a couple of things that he does do. He says, I fast twice a week. This is where you, uh, you skip a meal and instead you might pray or do some sort of other spiritual discipline. So he's letting us know how spiritual he is. And he says, I give a tenth of all I get. So he's letting us know how generous he is. And that's it. That's all we get as far as the Pharisee's prayer is concerned in this story. So, pretty arrogant, pretty obnoxious sort of prayer. Uh, he focuses a lot on himself and presenting his own strengths, uh, his moral and spiritual strengths, if you like. Depending on your translation, he uses the word I four or five times. There's no real sense of dependence on God. There's no real relationship with God present. And to quote Herbert Lockyer, he asked for nothing, he confessed nothing, and he received nothing. It's not a particularly inspiring prayer. Now, very easy for us to sit in judgment of this prayer and go, this guy, what a jerk, you know, like what a dud prayer. But let's just slow down a moment and not be too quick to judge. Let's do some self-reflection. We all think we're better than other people at times. We're all very capable of looking down our noses at others and feeling superior to other people. We all do it. Maybe we don't do it in quite such an obvious, exaggerated way as he does, you know, in the middle of a prayer meeting out loud publicly. But we all certainly do it in our own heads, and sometimes I'm sure we say it out loud. Jesus is he's telling a story here. You know, he's, he's, he's exaggerating for effect. But we all effectively do what the Pharisee does in this story, favorably comparing ourselves with others. I am sometimes shocked at how quickly I will do this in my own head. I can pass someone in the supermarket and just by looking at them or overhearing something that they say, I will assume that I'm smarter than them or that I'm more emotionally secure than them 
or that I'm funnier than them, or that I'm a better parent than them, or I'll find some other way to feel superior than them. I've maybe been in their presence for, I don't know, five, 10 seconds, and I've made an assumption about them that makes me feel good about my own strengths. We all do this. We all find ways to feel superior to other people and to separate ourselves from them. So we can all relate to the Pharisee, even if perhaps we wouldn't stand up in the middle of a prayer meeting and be quite so obnoxious. So that's the negative example. Then we go to the tax collector, and he is our positive example of prayer in this story. And it's like the tax collector's been listening to Jesus' teaching on prayer so far in the book of Luke. He prays, uh, and our series that we've been looking at in this uh, Teachers to Pray series. His prayer is simple, week one. His prayer is bold, week two. He lets it all hang out. And he does it publicly too, by the way. So let's have a look at what he prays in verse 13. He's standing at a distance, possibly because he's not particularly welcome, you know, because people think he's a scumbag. Uh, and he do- Jesus says he doesn't look up to heaven. Now, in Jesus' time, that was usually the, the sort of posture that people had when they prayed, that prayed. They would look up to the sky. But he doesn't do that. He looks down and then he beats his chest as a sign of sort of mourning or sorrow. And his prayer in verse 13 is very simple. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. If this was a job interview, the Pharisees come in, pumped up all their all his own strengths and dissed all the people who are in the waiting room saying they're a pack of duds. Whereas the tax collectors come in and just dumped all his weaknesses and all his problems and everything that he's done wrong on the table. He doesn't try and pump himself up, doesn't tell to talk about anyone else. He just says, God, here's the things I've done wrong. Here's my faults. Here's my imperfections. Could you please forgive me? When he talks about God showing him mercy, he's saying, what I've done wrong, you could so easily be angry with me, but I'm asking that instead you show me love. It is this prayer by the tax collector that sounds a lot more like the famous prayers that we have in the Bible. For example, in the book of Psalms. The Pharisees' prayer doesn't sound anything like those prayers that we have in the, in the Bible, those great examples. It's the tax collector's one. The scumbag's prayer sounds like a biblical prayer. And his theology, his understanding of God's character is better because he's seeking God's mercy. He understands that God is eager to forgive those who are honest about their own weaknesses and their own sin. Now, we can, of course, all relate to the tax collector because we all sin as well. This is just a common human experience for the entire human race. Now, sometimes we can live in denial about that. We can kind of justify our own bad behavior. You know, it was my headspace at the time or there's circumstances that led me to this or that you had to understand the context. We balance out the good with the bad, but we really just need to be honest like this guy is and just go, you know what? If all was exposed, if all my actions and all my thoughts and all everything that I've said was laid bare for all to see, and of course God can see it all the time anyway, he knows everything, then nobody's looking good. I'm not looking good. You're not looking good. You might be thinking, oh, maybe that person, they're pretty good. Like maybe they don't see, no, they're not looking good either. Everyone is an imperfect person 
who does the wrong thing sometimes and who fails to do the right thing sometimes. And we just need to be honest about that, especially in our relationship with God, because he knows there's no point trying to trick him. So this is the good prayer. This is the prayer. This is the example that Jesus is holding up as this is what we should be like. Now, of course, it's only a good prayer if God is actually merciful, if he does actually forgive sins. And the good news is that he does. Uh, this is true of God right throughout history, uh, you know, right throughout the Bible. Sometimes there's this theory that God's sort of angry in the Old Testament and then loving and forgiving in the New Testament uh, after Jesus' death and resurrection. But that's not true. God is merciful uh, throughout the entire Bible. There's plenty of examples of that. This story, of course, is coming before Jesus' death and resurrection in the book of Luke. And it's also true that throughout the Bible, God loves to use humble people. That is people who think of themselves less rather than pumping themselves up all the time. He loves to use humble people to fulfill his plans. And that's why when Jesus comes to his explanation of this story in verse 14, he does have a focus on humility. So verse 14, he says, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Um, so justification, when someone's justified, it's like they're restored to their full status as a human being in God's eyes. When God made the world and everything in it, he said it was good. But when he made human beings, he said, humans are very good. We are the pinnacle of God's creation. And so when we're justified, we're restored into that very best thing that God has ever created status in his eyes. Now, that's good news for all of us, anyone, but particularly for this character, the tax collector, who would have just been pushed. He would not have been had a great status in his own community. He was the scum in his own community. But for, for Jesus to be saying here that this guy is the one who's justified before God is a big thing for him to be saying, huge thing for him to be saying. And then he says, for all those who exalt themselves, who raise themselves up, they'll be humbled. They'll be brought down. And for those who humble themselves, who think of themselves less, they will be exalted. This emphasis here on humility. And so Jesus' words here about God's mercy and about the importance of humility, they're not just things that he said, there are also things that he lived out. He, he put actions to those words. The New Testament writers talk about this all the time. Jesus' life, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, the way he followed through on these words. Let me give you a couple of examples. Paul, a follower of Jesus after his resurrection, wrote this. Jesus humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So Jesus started off as God. He humbled himself to become a human being. Not only that, he was innocent of crimes that he was put to death for. Talk about a step down. Talk about humbling yourself. A great example for us is Jesus himself in humility. And then John, one of Jesus' disciples right from the start, says this in his first letter, John, 1 John 2.2. 2. Christ is the sacrifice 
that takes away our sins and the sins of all the world's people. See, sin is not a problem for us when we put our trust in Jesus. We don't have to worry that God's angry with us. We don't have to worry that sin's going to be blocking our relationship with God. Uh, We can trust that we are loved despite our stuff-ups, despite the things that we've done wrong because of the sacrifice of Jesus, because of what he's achieved through his death and resurrection. A common reason that people give for not praying is that they feel guilty about the things that they've done wrong. You know, we'll hear people say things like, oh, I can't really pray right now. I'm in this habitual sin and I just don't feel like God would really want to hear from me right now. I just can't bring myself to pray. If you're believing something like that at the moment, I want you to know that you are believing a fair dinkum lie. That is the exact opposite of the good news that Jesus brought to the world. The good news is that because of what Jesus has achieved, there is no blockage between us and God. There is nothing that can stop us be in relationship with our loving Father. Our sin cannot stop the love of God entering into our life. It will not block our prayers from being heard. So I want you to know that if that is the case, if that's what you're believing right now, you can just chuck that out. Get rid of it. Talk to God about how bad you're feeling about your sin and be assured that he's listening and that he's going to be showing you love as you do it. And this is why I'd recommend the practice of confession while we pray, when we pray, to do this regularly. Now, put aside any idea of like going into a confession booth, you know, like in the movies where you go into that dark room and there's a priest sitting on the other side of some weird window. Just forget that. Confession at its very basic is telling God the things you've done wrong or the thing, the good things that you failed to do. Now you can do that individually, or we can actually we can do confession together as well. And we will do that as part of our prayers for communion coming up later in the service. When we do confession, the important thing to remember is to do it in the context of God's loving character and in the context of what Jesus has achieved. That's really, really important. Had a great conversation in a youth life group I was a part of a few years ago. We were talking about praying and asking God to forgive our sins. A great thing to do. And we talked about it from a number of different angles and really worked it through because we wanted to make sure that when we asked God to forgive us, we weren't doing it in a way of like, oh, I hope he forgives me for this one, or I hope he forgives me this time. No, because of what Jesus has done, we can be confident when we ask God to forgive us, the answer is always yes. It's like a guaranteed yes. It's not an uncertainty to it. It's like, oh, maybe this time he'll say no. Like always, yes, we have that confidence and assurance that we are loved and we are forgiven. And that, that like even before we come to ask for forgiveness, we are forgiven. It's just a, it's a good habit to get into to admit that we are not perfect. It's, a, it's, a humil- it's about humility and about honesty before God. And so uh, the other thing to come with confession is also repentance. Because if I'm living this way and I'm stuffing up and I'm you know, hurting people around me and 
you know, just doing some dumb things. I don't want to keep living that way. And repentance literally means to turn, right? So that's going to be a really helpful thing to do is to go, thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. Now, could you please help me to live in a new way? Could you help me replace that type of living with your better way of living? Fill the hole that's left there with something better that you can give me. Now, again, we don't need to do that to prove that we really love God or to prove that we're really sorry, but it's just better for us. And so we ask God to help us with that. Here's the thing. Prayer is not a performance. The thing that the Pharisee got wrong was standing up there basically to show off, getting up there to like prove himself to the crowd or prove himself to God that he's spiritually and morally a great guy or whatever. It's a blah prayer. There's no sense of relationship, which is what prayer really is about. The great thing about the tax collector is just the brutal out there honesty of it all. And I understand that in a service like this, there's a challenge because some of the prayers that we pray together in a service like this um, are pretty well prepared. In fact, most of them are. We've got our liturgy, which is on the screen. You know, and some of that was prepared decades, even centuries ago by groups of people really working it through, making sure it's really theologically thorough and thoughtful. And you might look at that, or you might look at the intercessory prayers that our prayer team put together every week. And they put a lot of effort into that. They take notes and, you know, a lot of preparation time goes into it. And you might go, Geez, I could never pray like that. I could never pray like our prayer team. And so then you think, oh, can I really pray? Like, or are my prayers like second rate compared to the stuff that happens during the service? But you just need to take the pressure down on that. Because again, as with all the prayers that we've looked at and all the teaching of Jesus in this series, being super smooth or slick or poetic in prayers is not the emphasis of Jesus. The Pharisee prays a 34-word prayer, and his prayer is the dud prayer. The tax collector, seven words, and his is the good one. So let's take the pressure down on performance and doing some sort of Shakespearean whatever when it comes to prayer. Honesty and humility is so much more important in prayer than having some sort of nice flow of words. Just remember, God loves you. He's up for a chat. So when it comes to prayer, keep it simple, be bold, be persistent, and be humble. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.